0: All right, take a look at your notes, and also I have a map there uh, on the table that uh, would probably help you, help you on what we are going to look at today. Remember that Obadiah is short on verses, but long on background, and so that's what we've been doing in our previous weeks, is looking at that background. And remember, uh, said that to understand Obadiah, you need to know that Esau is the man edom is the nation and obadiah is all about oh bad edom all right and that's what we've been tracing through and we learned that his family tree is rooted in fleshly living living to feed the flesh forfeits the blessings of god and leaves a legacy of feeding the flesh instead of walking in the spirit If you want to think about Esau's life, this is what happened. If you want to think about the nation that came from him, this is the legacy. Feeding the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. And so that whole family feud thing between Jacob and Esau becomes a bitter national rivalry. And so all our story starts, to go, go to that next one, starts way back in 2000 B.C. And that's why I'm saying we're going to look at 4,000 years of history to see how God's prophecies work out. And Esau and Jacob were twin brothers, born to Isaac and Rebekah. And there in your notes, you see the family feud between the flesh and the spirit. And we have went over that, the bulge, the boys, the birthright, and the blessing. And the bottom line is this. The only blessing left for Esau after Jacob was blessed with the Abrahamic covenant blessing, the only blessing was an unblessing where Edom would always rebel against serving their weaker, younger brother nation, the nation of Israel. And they would use the strength of their sword to rebel, but they would never possess the good land the promised land and so everything that comes that for the next 4000 years is flowing out of that blessing to Jacob and the unblessing and we saw that the legacy of Esau's family living was in his fleshly children his fleshly country his fleshly cities and ultimately this fleshly conflict that we're going to trace here today. And this is where your map comes in. All these kind of things that we talked about last week. You can go back online. We are lightbridge.com. You can look under uh, the sermons and you can find that lesson. You can listen to it. You can get the notes. But if you look at that map, you can trace these significant areas. And at the top of the map, I even put on there, here's the things you want to be looking for and try to find on that map. But here's what I want you to see that the everything we're going to see in this history that comes is due to this covenant relationship that they have. Edom has a covenant relationship as blood brothers. It's not a covenant of faith. It's a covenant of blood. You are blood brothers. And therefore, you they have a covenant responsibility to behave brotherly and to bless Israel as God's chosen people. But Edom, being a pagan, unbelieving nation, and being from the tribe or coming from the loins of Esau, they rebel, and it results in this bitter national rivalry that we're going to trace through. But here's what I want you to understand that if you just dive into the Bible and you see the killing, and you see the wars, and you see the devastation of people, you're going to say, wait a minute, this this seems unjust, This this doesn't make sense. And we come to the Bible with our own perceived understandings of what's just and right. You have got to see the Bible, read it in the context of the covenants. Particularly when you see Edom and Israel, you need to understand that there is behind this, this covenant relationship, this responsibility, and Edom's rebellion. And whenever Israel rebels against the Lord in their covenant of salvation, they get disciplined. And guess who God often uses to discipline them? He often uses their blood brother. But it's discipline of a nation that is chosen and under grace. But when Edom attacks They are acting out of their flesh and they're suffering the curses of their breaking their brotherly covenant with Israel. So I just wanted to really emphasize that to you. And therefore, Obadiah 10 really sums up everything that we're going to look at this morning. Because of the violence, and this is a strong word of the unjust behavior of of treating the weak, Uh, abusing the weak, of abusing the the hopeless and the helpless, because of the violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. You're going to see an outflow of that back and forth, back and forth, all through history. And the one first event, and we talked about this last week, that kind of sums this up of everything we're going to see happens in 1400 BC when Edom proudly refuses to grant Moses and redeemed Israel safe passage through their country. And we ended with this last week, so I'm I'm not going to hit this very hard, but I want you to see that this kind of, this First, this is a principle of Bible study. Whenever you see something for the first time, really take note of it because it kind of sets the agenda from here on out. And so here's the people of Israel who have been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves being abused under the pharaoh of Egypt. God has redeemed them with a mighty hand, and they want to pass through peacefully the land of Edom and you can see there, they want to pass straight through there to go up to the Jordan, north of the Dead Sea, and cross over and eat them arrogantly aggressively the sword the stronger brother says no little brother you're just a bunch of uh, freed slaves we have a dynasty of kings we have great powerful fortified cities you're not coming through here and also they were fearful so there's that unbelief of the fallen nature you have a mighty god but we're going to trust in our strength you ain't getting through And so Israel, being true to their brotherly covenant, did not make war on on Edom. Instead, they took the long way home. But God never forgot and never does forget. And so right after that, in Numbers 24, Numbers 24, 17 through 19, he curses, he blesses uh, Israel again and he curses Edom again. Listen to Numbers 24, 7. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come forth from Jacob. A scepter, a ruler, shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be a possession, seer, that, that uh, land of Edom, same, same country, its enemies, also will be a possession while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant from the city. There's a coming king that Jacob, the line of Jacob, is going to be blessed with that will conquer all of Israel's enemies on that map, particularly Edom, Moab, Ammon. Uh, and the Canaanites, and the and, and Ammon, and the, and the Philistines. So, there you go. It kind of sets the stage for everything that's going to happen. They proudly refuse, and they're cursed. So, about 400 years later, Israel's conquered the Promised Land. They've survived the days of the judges, just barely. And Israel finally has a king. But it's a king like the nation's. And it's a king who chooses fleshly compromises, and that king is Saul. And so in 1020 to 1000 BC, Saul reigns, and King Saul punishes Edom. He's going to punish Edom for helping Israel's enemies plunder his brother nation. So he he punishes them for that. Uh, we find this in 1 Samuel 14, 40, 47 through 48. So let me read this if you want to turn there, uh, do so. First Samuel 14, 47 through 48. Now when Saul had taken the kingdom over taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he He inflicted punishment. He acted violently and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Now, he's doing the right thing here as as the king of Israel. He is punishing God's enemies as God would want them. And this is the first option for when... Uh, Obadiah might have been talking about. When Obadiah talks in verses 10 through 14 about a day of discipline when the nations plundered uh, Judah and Jerusalem, some think this might be what Obadiah is talking about. But it's not likely. It's too early. It doesn't fit in the chronology. But here's the rest of the story. Saul ultimately becomes... Like Esau, he makes fleshly compromises, and therefore God strips the kingdom from him. He's the people's choice, not God's choice. He makes fleshly decisions, not spirit-filled, wise decisions, and he's disqualified. And so you know what he does? He seeks to try to kill God's chosen king to replace him, who is who? King David. And he tries to do it, and guess how he does it? What happens is he goes after David. David's on the run and he needs help. And so he goes to the priests of Israel and he says, hey, I need some weapons. I think you still have the spear from Goliath whom I killed. And they gave him the weapons so he could help uh, defend himself. And there was an Edomite there by the name of Dog. Dog the Edomite. Sounds like a Marvel villain, doesn't it? Dog the Edomite. He sees this, and being the Edomite that he is, he runs to King Saul and tattles on what King David did. And he said and Saul says, "Oh, I need someone to slaughter the priests of the Lord for helping David and rebelling against me." And guess who volunteers to do that? Dog the Edomite. And so Dog the Edomite goes and slaughters the priests of Israel. And you see this conflict again playing out. And you know what's interesting about Dog? He was the chief shepherd of the flocks of King Saul. And you know why that's interesting? Because Basra, the capital of Edom, was famous for its shepherds, for its shepherding. It was a shepherding center, famous for their woolen garments. So look at the irony. Of what's taking place. An Israelite king is having a chief shepherd who is an Edomite slaughter Israelite priests for helping the true shepherd king, David. Do you see the rebellion and the upside down things that are going on? And so, even though... um, so that's, that's kind of the rest of the story. And obviously, Saul gets removed. Ultimately, he's killed in battle. It fulfills the Lord's judgment on him for his fleshly disobedience. And the Lord's chosen king steps in his place. David from the tribe of Judah, the scepter that I was just talking about, the star is stepping up, one from the tribe of Judah. Now, he's not the ultimate king because David was sinful. David wasn't perfect, but he is the perfect type, the perfect picture of the coming king. And so that brings us to number 4, 1010 to 970 BC. King David reigns as a godly king versus the fleshly Saul. And guess what he does? He conquers Edom. He conquers Edom, and they must serve their younger brother Israel. In a sense, David, as a godly king of Judah, begins to fulfill these prophecies that the older will serve the younger. The stronger will serve the weaker. And David points forward to that coming king, who will ultimately be sinless, savior the true humble servant that will conquer all the nations. So we get a picture of this. Listen to 2 Samuel 8, 13 through 15. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Aramans in the Valley of Salt. You can find the Valley of Salt in your map there. He put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. So you kind of have this pinnacle in the history of Israel, and you've got David fulfilling the Davidic kingship as coming from the tribe of Judah. And he is conquering Edom as the prophecies have said way back when Jacob and Esau are born. But there's more to this. David only partially and imperfectly fulfills the prophecy. The rest of the story comes in 1 Kings 11. So I do want you to turn there. Turn to 1 Kings 11, and we see the rest of the story. The Bible connects, and you got you just got to keep reading and keep reading through it to see these connections. In 1 Kings 11, 15 through 17, David has conquered Edom, brought them into subjection, put Garrison's military outposts, but notice in 1 Kings 11, 15. For it came about that when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain, this is after a battle, and had struck down every male in Edom. If you know anything about David's commander of the army, Joab, he was one passionate dude. He was very aggressive, and he was always living on the edge of, of doing his own thing instead of God's thing, of bringing revenge instead of being a, a tool for God's vengeance and waiting on God's time. And so he stays there and he strikes down every male in Edom. Look at verse 16. For Joab and all Israel stayed there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. Every male except one. Look at verse 17. That Hadad fled to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, while Hadad was a young boy. So here's the deal. He's slaughtering every male to cut off Edom, except he misses one prince of Edom, Hadad. And Hadad escapes as a young boy to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Israel was in Egypt. While Edom was getting strong, now a Edomite is fleeing to Egypt while Israel is strong. I think this guy's going to come back strong out of Egypt. That seems to be the pattern. So he flees. Now, here's the thing. As great as David was, he fails to perfectly live humbly. He fails to be an obedient servant in all things. He's a sinner just like us. And he's not the promised Messianic king. But here's the thing. Even though David sinned greatly with murder and adultery, God kept his covenant promises to Israel and to David's family. And so his seed ultimately does reign in his place. And what is his son's name that reigns in his place? King Solomon, right, King Solomon. So look at number five. We're in 971 to 931 B.C., the reign of Solomon. And King Solomon rules over Edom until he becomes proud and makes fleshly compromises like Esau. So here's the deal. God's faithful. And David brought Edom under control But Solomon rules over Edom. But here's what happens. And I'm not going to, because of time, I'm not going to read 1 Kings 9, 1 through 9. But I encourage you to read that because he goes through the Davidic covenant and he basically tells Solomon this. There are humble conditions you must meet for my blessing. As long as you remain a humble servant. Remember, Obadiah means... Servant of Yahweh, as long as you and your sons remain humble servants under me, you will reign over Israel and over the nations. But sadly, the rest of the story is Solomon makes a proud compromise of the flesh that costs him, not only ends up costing him the kingdom, it divides the kingdom forever in Israel and Judah. But I want you to read what he does. Look at 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 7. This is interesting. These Edomites, they just keep coming back. 1 Kings 11, 1. Here's the proud compromise. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, whoop, 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 Edomite, he's even marrying Edomite women, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, much less marry them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. And sure enough, Solomon held fast to these in love. Who you marry is a great determiner of how you will worship. You need to marry covenant people. Need to marry covenant people. And he holds fast to these three seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines, a thousand women. I mean, how do you? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I held fast to one. Aren't you, Pat? I mean, you know, I mean, that's a thousand. It's a lot. Yeah, a lot of work. Yeah. That's yeah, a lot of work, all right. So, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away from uh, after other gods, and his heart—his heart—the heart is the—the the heart is the heart of the problem, and his heart was not wholly divided, devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David, his father, had done. See, David sinned, and when confronted, he confessed and he repented. Solomon is holding fast to his syncretism, his idolatry. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Moloch was the god who required child sacrifices. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Here's what I want you to see. You ever uh, seen through the history of the kings, of Israel and Judah, and they always say, but they didn't tear down the high places. You know how those high places came? They came from Solomon. They came from Solomon and his fleshly compromise. And so guess what? Guess what God does? What's God going to do with his uh, uh, Davidic king? He's going to discipline him. And guess who he's going to use to discipline him? Where do you think the dude's going to come from that's going to discipline him? An Edomite. And guess which Edomite it is? Who's been waiting down in Egypt? Who's been growing? Hey, Dad! yeah, look at this. So what happens? He becomes proud, and just like Esau, he marries Canaanite women. But here's the humbling consequences. So Lord begins to humble King Solomon by raising up the escaped son of of the king of Edom, who becomes, in the rest of Solomon's reign, he becomes Solomon's strongest enemy, along with other nations. But it's really Hadad and Edom that is this constant thorn in Solomon's flesh. Listen to 1 Kings eleven fourteen 14 through 17. Right after his compromise, it says, Then the Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon. Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal line in Edom. And the reason he was around is because he escaped Joab's brutal devastation. Now here's the irony. The Lord raises up an exiled son of the kingdom Edom out of Egypt to be the strongest enemy against the Davidic king Solomon. So you see what happens? God turns. He humbles the proud, but he will exalt the humble. So we come to number six. 873 to 848 BC. Another Judean Judean king reigns. Edom raids Judah during the reign of King Jehoshaphat. Edom raids. Now, I want you to see this pattern. If Edom is raiding Judah during this king's raid, what does that tell you about this king? Not very Not, yeah. He, he, and actually, Jehoshaphat started really good, but then he compromised. And when he compromised, guess what started happening? Edom begins to raid into Judah. Okay? So he compromises Uh, King Jehoshaphat compromises with the wicked king Ahab, who's up in the north. By this time, Israel in the north is completely apostate. Judah is hanging on for its life, its spiritual life. And Jehoshaphat makes allies with Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. Ain't going to go good, okay, in God's eyes. And so Edom... God raises up Edom, teams with Moab and Ammon, 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 they're in the east. You see all those enemies there on the east. And Edom becomes stronger and becomes strong enough that they have a deputy king. So here's what I want you to see. We've gone from David and Solomon that ruled over Edom. Now Edom is strong enough that King Jehoshaphat is still ruling over them, but he can't rule over them without the help of an Edomite deputy king. So So, you know, it's like when one nation rules another nation, if you're strong enough, you just rule them. If you're not, you put a little puppet dude in place who really has the influence to control their people for you. And so that's what happens. In the end... This is ironic. King Jehoshaphat and his son, Jeroram, they make an alliance with this deputy king from Edom. Because Edom, Moab, and Ammon is coming at him. And Jehoshaphat's not strong enough to stop him. And so he has to make an alliance with Edom just to return to Jerusalem without being defeated. Not looking good. That brings us to number 7. 853 to 841 Jehoshaphat's son oh let me catch you guys up we've got about 500 years no okay you just just hang in there with us we're on number seven guys 853 to 841 Edom revolts now you saw this coming right you saw this coming they had been raiding them now Judah is, is weak enough that Edom revolts during the reign of King Jeroboam and throws off the yoke of his brother Judah. What does that tell you about this Davidic king? Good or bad? Bad. Yeah. Because God's disciplining Jerusalem, disciplining the king and the nation of Judah for being unfaithful to God, and he uses the proud pagan nation of Edom to humble them. And so what happens here? 2 Kings, turn your Bible, 2 Kings 8, 16 through 20. I want you to see why God is raising Edom up. 2 Kings 8, 16 through 20. Look at verse 16. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, being then the king of Judah, Jeroam, The son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. So his son becomes king. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. That's another indicator he wasn't a good king. The shorter your reign, the more ungodly the king. Eight years in Jerusalem. Why did he only rule eight years? Verse 18. He walked in the ways of the king of Israel, the apostates, just as the house of Ahab had done, For the daughter of Ahab became his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ah, craziness. So Solomon married all these pagan wives. What does Jerome do? He marries the daughter of the apostate king of Israel. He married into Jezebel's family. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so look at verse 19. What's God going to do? Is He going to wipe out Israel? Is He going to wipe out Judah? Look at verse 19. However, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah because they deserved it? No. Why? For the sake of David, his servant, since he had promised him to give a lamp to him through his sons always. It's the covenant of grace that keeps the Lord from destroying Judah for the same sins that the pagan nations are participating in. Look at verse 20. In his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah, and made a king over themselves. So what Edom has done now is said, we've not only raided you, we've not only revolted, but we are now reigning as Edomites in Edom. And here's the second option for Obadiah 10 through 14. And I think this is the most likely one. When they revolt and establish their own king. God has the prophetic message come to, uh, come to Obadiah because Edom has looted Jerusalem. He has carried off. They've attacked Judah, and they've set up their own king in Edom. And I think this is the best option for when Obadiah says, hey, their day is going to come. Well, Edom's strength again, is shown by the sword. They're making allies with Israel's enemies. And it comes to number 8, 796 to 767 B.C. King Amaziah of Judah reconquers Edom. Oh, okay. So what's this tell you about this dude? At least for a little while. Was he a good king or a bad king? He was a good king. He was a righteous king. At least, not perfectly, but enough that he reconquers Edom. He kills 10,000 and he captures Selah, which is Petra. So he captures the fortified city. This begins to foreshadow what Obadiah has now already predicted that one day Edom is going to fall. But this isn't the f- complete fulfillment. Why? Because King Amaziah becomes proud and you know what he does? You know how proud he becomes? He conquers Edom, so guess what he does? He starts, con- he starts worshiping the idols of Edom. The, the, sin is irrational, and it is just foolish. So God gives him the ability to rise up, he reconquers, and then he begins to worship Edomite kings. And it's it's just it's sad. And so what does God do? He humbles Judah by allowing the wicked king of Israel to defeat them. So here's the deal. Humble Judah is delivered. Proud Judah is disciplined. And God often uses proud pagan Edom, brother Edom, to punish them. And So that brings us to number 9, 735 to 715 B.C. Edom raids Judah again during the reign of King Ahaz. Okay. What's this tell you about King Ahaz? Not godly. Not fulfilling the the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants. Therefore, God disciplines him. And Edom is strong enough to raid into there. Now, notice in your notes, this is the third option for... Possibly being Obadiah 10 through 14. First option, too early. No one really thinks that's a valid option. Second option, we looked at. It's the one that I think is most likely. This is a third option that's suggested, these raids. But most scholars say, not likely. Let's keep moving. 150 years later, the Lord's long sufferings has come to an end with his people Judah. It's time for him to keep his covenant promises of what? Severe discipline. What has he said all the way back in Deuteronomy through Moses? What did God say? You're going to possess this land. But if you compromise, if you fail to keep covenant responsibility with me, what is God going to do to his chosen people? He's going to exile them. And by this time... It's already happened in the north. The Assyrians in 722 B.C. carried off Israel, uh, carried off northern tribes of Israel into captivity. Now, 586, some say 587 B.C., Babylon sweeps in and carries Judah out into captivity. And here's what happens. Edom rejoices over the fall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Judah Judah's exile. Now this just makes sense. What has Edom been trying to do all along? Conquer, conquer Judah. And so Israel's out of the way. Now Judah is out of the way. What does that mean geographically? Look at your map. What does that mean for Edom? Edom's Babylon's come down from the north and taken Judah into captivity. Edom is going to sweep in and fill the vacuum from the south. And guess what? Uh, Tradition says that when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, the Edomites are out there cheering them on. And not only that, they rushed in and the Edomites set fire to the temple in Jerusalem. And this is intense stuff. They rejoice and they root for the fall of, of, of Jerusalem. Listen to Psalm 137.7. Here's what the psalmist says. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundations. Now, all of this sounds very much like Obadiah. And this is the, if you notice your notes, know, this is the fourth option that many scholars think Obadiah is referring to, the day of discipline. And it certainly is the ultimate day of discipline. I still think it's the earlier attack, but this is really a crowning moment. But you know what the irony of this is? Edom are rushing into Jerusalem, and they're jumping up and down and saying, burn it, burn it, bring it to the ground. As though they're large and in charge. But guess who's in control of them? Babylon is in control of them too. They're under the authority of Babylon. God's using Babylon to crush them and control them. Why is this? Because of their pride. Listen to Jeremiah. What is it? Jeremiah 9, 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clip the hair on their temples. For all the nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. All of this is happening... Because the nations, including Israel and Judah, are rebelling against the Lord. And His covenant people, who have the sign of circumcision among them, we are your people, are uncircumcised of heart. They're in rebellion in their heart. And then the nations, who are uncircumcised, they're way far away from God. And they're all going to be judged. That's why Judah and Israel are in captivity. But you know what? The rest of the story is this. Israel, Judah is in captivity. But Judah has a covenant with Yahweh. And so after 70 years of captivity, what happens? A remnant of Judah returns to the land of Judah. Northern tribe, they were so apostate, they have never yet come back. But guess what? God's still in covenant with them. One day in the future... Israel, Judah will be restored and reunited, but for now, their sin was so great, they haven't returned. Judah comes back with a remnant, but here's the thing. They return to the land, but their heart is still not circumcised. They're still under God's discipline, even though he's showing his faithfulness to them. But 275 years later, come to number 11, 275 years later, Obadiah's prediction of a day of doom has been fulfilled for, O bad Edom. Though there's going to be more judgment on the day of the Lord in the future. We come to 312 BC, and what happens? Edom is overthrown. Edom is overthrown by the Nab- Nabataeans, and if you're a Nabataean here and I'm saying your name, I apologize. Nabataean Arabs Arabs, and remains cut off by slaughter, just as Obadiah predicted to this day. 312. You say, who are these Nabataean Arabs? Look at your map. They're way up there on the far east. They swoop down and they overthrow Edom. And if you look on your map, They swoop down and overthrow Edom. And Edom, the Edomites, flee into Judah. And why can they flee into Judah? Because Judah's been decimated. And so they settle down in the southern portion of of Judah. And it's a a land called Edomia. Edomia. Idumia. Idumia. I'll say Idumea. And they become the... Edomians okay and that's important to our story and I know it's weird history but I'm just telling you what happened okay they get overthrown bottom line here is they get cut off in 320 312 BC and Obadiah's prophecy uh, in large part has been fulfilled they are scattered and no longer really known as Edomites but Edomians okay living basically on Judean turf, and they're displaced out of their own kingdom. Well, let's fast forward another 275 years to number 12. It's 37 B.C. to 4 A.D. I don't think I wrote that right. 37 B.C. to 4 A.D. And there is a man by the name of Herod the Great. You remember him from the book of Matthew? He is king, and here's the, you know what, who Herod the Great is? He's an Edomian, which means, in other words, he's an Edomite. And the Romans, who have conquered Jerusalem and conquered the Jews, has set up Herod the Great, and they call him the title King of the Jews. That's why in Matthew, when the... uh, When the wise men come and say, where is born the king of the Jews? Herod's like, "Uh, that's me. Who are you talking about? But Herod's not the king of the Jews. He's an Edomite. He's an Edomite. And so Herod the Great becomes king of the Jews in Judea under the Romans. Israel is still being disciplined by the Lord at the hands of an Edomite king. This time, it's Herod the Great. Herod was called great because he was a master builder, but he was also a master butcher. He was a builder that rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem to ingratiate himself and show that he's the king of the Jews, but he was also a master butcher who butchered the baby boys of Bethlehem at the birth of the true king. All I'm trying to get you to see is what did Esau want to do to Jacob when he, when, when he lost the blessing, he said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him out of envy for the blessing. And here, we've traveled 2,000 years, and there's still an Edomite king that wants to kill baby boys, the true king of Israel, out of envy to be his ruler. And where does baby Jesus flee With his parents, they flee to Egypt. What happens when you flee to Egypt? You get stronger, right? He flees to Egypt, and then his parents come back out of Egypt. He grows up. He begins his ministry. And guess what? Here's God's grace. Even in the ministry of Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Edomians followed Jesus. The nation is cursed. The nation has been destroyed. The nation is scattered. And yet the grace of God can still reach the greatest rebel. And Edomians followed the true Davidic king, who was sinlessly a humble servant and who was obedient to the point of death on the cross but who was highly exalted in the resurrection. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is the I am God. Wow, isn't that amazing? Now here's what happens. The end of the story so far, or the story so far is 70 AD. Look in your notes, 70 AD. So what, what's happened is the Edomians and the Judean Jews are intermingled, right? And Herod the Great was over them, and a Herodian dynasty is over them. But what happens is the Jews revolt in 70 AD against the Romans. And so who, which side are the Idumeans going to join on, do you think? What? Are they going to go with the Jews and revolt, or are they going to go with Rome? Now, remember, Herod's king of the Jews, right? So, the answer is kind of a trick question. They, they, they side with the Jews to revolt against Rome to defend Herod's temple that he's built. But some of the Idumeans join with the Romans. Why? Because the Romans are keeping them in power. So, anyway, you just have this revolt. Rome comes in, violently puts it down, and destroys the temple to this day to this day. Jesus predicted it in his lifetime. Happened in 70 A.D. and it's torn down and because mostly the Idumeans joined with the Jews from that point on even the Idumeans disappear from history. Interesting stuff. That's why Obadiah 9 says, then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Temen, city and in, in Edom, so that everyone may be caught off caught cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. So what's the rest of the story? Well you have it there in your notes. I, I should have put a picture up here for you. What's going on in Edom today? Well three, let me just give you there's probably a lot of things, but basically they're devastated. So it's a tourist trap. Remember they were famous for their wealth? Well, guess where they get their wealth you now? So they, they get their wealth now from tourists who come to see the wisdom of a dead nation in their mighty ruins. And they are a movie set. So like Star Wars was filmed in Edom, which is today Jordan. Uh, Dune, the movie Dune, was filmed in Jordan. The Marvel uh, uh, series that's on now, Moon Knight, was filmed It's just a devastated wasteland that looks like a planet, (laughs) like from Star Wars or Dune. It's sad, God's word. So what do we learn from this? You say, well, Chris, that was a good history lesson. Well, let me give you three things to learn from this. Besides, I hope you're amazed at how God's word flows through history. So number one, the promise-keeping God always keeps his word. To discipline, then deliver his covenant people. God's, the promise-keeping God, the I am God, Yahweh, always keeps his word to discipline and then deliver his people. That's why in Obadiah, it says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, Obadiah reminds it. See, Obadiah opens up and he's saying, hey, I know this history. And I know I've used Edom to discipline you. But now you are humble. And in your humility, remember that I will keep my promises to deliver you one day. And one day, indeed, he did. Christ came, but he's coming again. And the end of Obadiah will be fulfilled because God's a promise keeper. Do you think a God who has done this for 4,000 years can't keep his promises a few more? Are you with me? And did he do it literally? Yeah, he did it literally. Number two, God is not only a promise-keeping God, but he's a sovereign Lord that uses pagan nations to humble other proud nations that break his commandments and do violence to one another and his covenant people. That's why in Obadiah 1, he says, And an envoy has been sent among the nations. God sovereignly uses nations to... (laughs) He uses pagan nations to humble proud nations. He uses pagan nations to humble his chosen people because God is sovereign. So here's the thing. When you look at history in in the war in ukraine the war in you know russia ukraine and and just as you see what's going on in the news understand that God is sovereign over that amen and he is accomplishing purposes that you'll never hear about on cnn or fox news or our local stations you don't know what's happening if you don't get into this book if you don't study his story, you won't understand our story as it's unfolding. And let me just say this too. As we've gone through this, there's this huge tension between prophecy being fulfilled and choices being made. Why did Edom get devastated? Because God... Prophesied it. God is sovereign. He predicted and He judged them for their sins. But as you trace through the history, Edom, Esau, Dog the Edomite, Hadad the prince of Edom, they are all making choices for which they are accountable. Are, are you with me on this? So the way I explain it, and it's the best way, I think it's the biblical way. God's sovereignty is not equal to human responsibility. It is exalted over human responsibility without eliminating human responsibility. And you say, Chris, explain that to me. I cannot do that. But I see it, and I hope you've seen it today. I hope you've seen it today. And then number three, the sovereign Lord is the promise-keeping God, Who will finally and fully keep all his promises to destroy and to deliver? You can bank on it. And therefore, in Obadiah, it says, Arise, let us go against Edom for battle. So, I guess if I would end with one thing, it would be this: Don't live like Esau. (laughs) Number one: Don't live like Esau, don't live for the flesh. And number two, don't put your hope in any nation, including America. Put it in the coming king. He has come, and he is coming again. And he will fulfill all of God's promises. Amen? And you say, you say, okay, that's a national... You know, I don't deal with... Na-. Okay. When you're betrayed, when you... Are when you see injustice done to a friend or a family member betrays you or there's injustice, injustice around you. Understand this. God takes note and he doesn't forget. And in the future when Christ comes, all, it, it will be made right. Amen? Amen? I don't know. Powerful stuff. I bet you never knew this much about Edom, Dana, before. Or or wanted to, maybe. I don't know. But here's the thing. I'll end with this. And I didn't know this. Edom is mentioned more than any of Israel's enemies except the big three. Egypt, Assyria, who took the north, and Babylon, who took Judah into captivity. Set those three aside. In all these pagan nations, no other nation is mentioned more than Edom. And it's a a line traced through God's prophetic history. Are you ready to jump into the book of Obadiah? Well, we'll do that in two weeks. Next week, we're going to have a special message for men. It's Father's Day. Ladies, you got a message. Us men need to be challenged by the word of God. We'll do that next week, and then we'll jump in. Angela, we had lunch with the Raffles last week, and Angela asked, Chris, how many lessons in Obadiah are there going to be? And I said, Angela, you're asking the wrong question. How many lessons before we get to Obadiah? (laughs) Okay, we're ready for Obadiah, but we're going to have Father's Day next week, and then we'll jump into Obadiah. But I hope this gives you some context. So let's pray. Father, we come, and, oh, Lord, uh, may we be humbled before your mighty hand may we be humbled before your awesome sovereignty that nothing escapes you and you're working your purposes and plan through this mixed up messed up immoral unjust unbelieving world and lord sometimes that describes our own heart as your people if your hand of discipline is on us right now, may we humble ourselves and repent like David. And Lord, if we're, if we're not even in covenant with you, if we're like Esau or Hadad or Dog the Edomite or Herod the Great, Lord, may we confess our lack of a relationship with you and enter into covenant relationship by faith in the true king, the humble servant, the exalted savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be glorified in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray.